Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Star Trek. In the year 2009, J.J. Abrams auditioned for Star Wars. For the first time, just, you know, that's like kind of, kind of a Star Trek tradition that you do your, uh, your demo or your pilot twice, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because yeah, TOS has two pilots. But uh, yep, yep. This is the 2009 Star Trek, which it's it's a title too generic because uh, as I've been putting this in our, our schedule and stuff, I've been, you know, putting that, you know, parentheses 2009. Everyone just calls it Star Trek 2009. Yeah. Or Star Trek 09. Or... Yeah. Anyway, uh, we do have a guest today and it's a, a fellow who... Um, I think he said it's his first podcast here, but I've been reading him since I think Deep Space Nine was on the air. Uh, he's from Jammers Reviews, and for me, that's kind of been my go-to source for uh, sci-fi television information. I was even there last night for an unrelated thing, just to check a guest star on the Orville. So, hello, Jamal Epsico-Khan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So um, I guess I got to ask a bit about, about your own Trek geek, uh, having been in the game so long yourself. Which is your show? Which is my show? Yeah. I'd probably have to go with Deep Space Nine. Oh, okay. Interesting. So It's a, it's a tough call between that and Next Generation, um, but uh, definitely one of those two. Uh, but I probably have to give, give the edge to Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I guess in, in the end, I'm a, I, I got to be a TNG guy. But uh, and, and Luke, I, I assume because uh, of Patrick Stewart, you're a TNG guy? Because I've never asked you this before. I think of myself as a TNG guy, but I actually haven't watched as much Deep Space Nine as I'd like. So when I finally get around to finishing a rewatch of it, I might change my mind. Okay. Um, and Jamal, can you t- I, I just as a longtime reader, again, I'm curious how you got your site started and uh, rolling. So... Um... Actually, so when, when I first started the site, uh, it's, I started it in college. So um, I guess if you go way back, um, the way I, I originally started it, not as a site, but I was posting my reviews out on Usenet, um, which if you don't know what Usenet is, um, this was a text-based news group uh, place where you could post news group messages and it was categorized. So there was a, a group out there called rec.arts.startrek.current uh, and then there's another group called rec.arts.startrek.reviews but um, uh, my freshman year of college um, I just decided I was going to start posting my reviews uh, out on those news groups and over the course of the next 
year or so. I was just collecting all my reviews and I finally published a website. Um, because at the time the internet was brand new um, for most people, uh, I had access to it through my university free student account. Uh, I hadn't been on the internet prior to that fall semester when I arrived on campus, uh, but um, had these resources available to be, just be able to post a website and create a website. And so I collected the reviews I had and put them on online and I just started posting every week. Um, at the time, uh, Deep Space Nine was on and then um, Voyager premiered, um, I believe it was January of 95. Um, which was my second semester there on campus. And so I was posting both Deep Space Nine and, and Voyager. And uh, as I started to get a collection of reviews and people were replying to them in the Usenet groups, I realized I could build a site and I had access to um, free space on my student account. And so I just started uh, posting them there as well and then cross promoting them uh, at the bottom of my postings on, on Usenet. So that's how I got this, uh, the start for the site. And the, the longer I kept at it, um, you know, the, the more it just kind of built up. Um, I remember in 97, after I'd had this site at like a couple of years, I put a hit counter on it just to, out of curiosity to see how many people were kind of visiting it. Cause I had no way of tracking it. There was no real way of doing metrics back then. Um, but I just put a, one of those hit counter scripts on there just to see, and, 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 you know, 24 hours after I put it out there, I saw that it was getting, you know, hundreds or thousands. I can't remember the number of hits. And so I was kind of surprised that people were, were, were coming to the site. And so I just kept posting and kept building and the library just got bigger over the years. And I continued to just kind of chip away at it. And, and, uh, I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was a, probably about 1999 sitting in the University of Georgia. And at that time, if you typed in Star Trek reviews, uh, I guess a lot of us got sent your way. So that's probably how that started. Um, yeah, I remember I posted, um, I like submitted it to Yahoo uh, to get there. They like had categorized places where you could find websites. And there was science fiction and they had a whole like categorized page for star trek and i posted it out there and that was kind of the way i promoted it um just posting a link out there and submitting it and uh it living out there on that yahoo listing for for years and you know this was before google was even a thing um and that's how i think i i got a lot of traffic between that and just putting the url at the bottom of my uh usenet posts that's how i drove all my traffic to my website all right. Well, let's uh, uh, let's skip ahead ten years to at least from where I'm first checking your site to the uh, the only Star Trek in quite a long period of time because the last Trek we'd seen was 2004. Was it for the last um, Enterprise episode? I think it was 05. That might be right. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it on live TV. Actually, that's the first year I lived in Japan, so I. Didn't really notice Enterprise till it was DVD time, but uh, and then uh, Discovery. It's like 2018, so it's pretty long dry spell. So I know I was super excited for this. Uh, I went with my father. We got a couple margaritas and uh, watched it. Not a hundred percent 
sober and, and enjoyed it. Just it seemed really idealistic at the time. I guess 2009 people were in a slightly better mood than they were in 2022. So <laughs> um, it, it was it's like it was like a, uh, you know, it was a lollipop of a movie at the time, I guess. And I have seen it several times. The last I watched it maybe two months ago. It's the first Trek that I think I, I really got my 12 year old daughter to uh, watch attentively which meant that then I had to put on Into Darkness. I even had to buy Into Darkness again to, for Japanese subtitles because that's her first language. I felt slightly dirty about that. But <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm one of the few defenders of in, Into Darkness. I take a lot of flack of it on my own, flack for that on my own website um, just because I actually recommend that movie. Well, we'll get to that one here, of course. I, I My my forward review is a good movie, bad Trek. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it is... <laughs> It does, it's, it, I, I don't hate watching. I just, yeah, they, they, as Luke said before, they cure death. <laughs> uh, Luke, what was your 2009 experience? When, when did you get your pick with Shatner? Is it before or after this? Um, oh, like a year or two after, actually. Because that was with a later girlfriend. Now, this one, um, I remember being very excited for. I hadn't watched much Enterprise. So for me, it felt like Trek hadn't been on since, like, Voyager, um, Deep Space Nine, and Next Generation had finished. I think maybe Enterprise was on like a weird channel or something in the UK, whereas um, the previous tracks had been like primetime BBC, me and my family sat down and watched them, TV. Um, so this was after I'd gone back, bought all the DVDs of the original series, become a full-on Trekkie. And I was with my first like serious girlfriend, I'd finally managed to get her interested in Star Trek. Um, yeah, went and saw this one at the theater. Very excited. I think I wore my gold shirt uniform to see this film. Um, and then a couple of months later, this is the first film I ever watched at Glastonbury Festival. The music festival in the UK has a cinema tent. Um, and going to see a movie at the theater in the UK, people don't really make any noise. Um, I've seen like, reactions to Avengers or whatever from American cinemas and people are like, woo, yeah. You don't get that in the UK. People would hate you if you made that much noise in a cinema. Um, but when they're all drunk in a tent at a music festival, people are shouting at the film. Um, so that was my first experience of that and people being like, woo, Scotty, when he shows up. Or, you tell him, Jim. <laughs> so, yeah, I had two great cinema experiences with this film. And I've watched it a fair few times since on DVD. Jamal, what was your first experience with this one? I believe I saw this one in a theater in suburban Chicago area. Um, my wife, then we weren't engaged yet at the time, but um, we went and saw it with some friends of ours uh, on, I believe it was an IMAX. And I just remember um, that was like the first IMAX uh, theater I think I'd been been to because we didn't have an IMAX here in town and I didn't usually go to IMAX movies um, whenever I went to the theater, I just usually went to the regular screening, but I just remember, yeah, it was, it was huge on the screen. And I also remember there was like a trailer for Transformers 2 before it and it like made us motion sick almost because it was so massive. <clears throat> but um, I do recall the audience definitely was, was into it. Um, there were several lines I know that, that kind of brought the house down. Um, 
but yeah, I saw I saw it there in the theater, and uh, then I saw it later, obviously on on DVD again. So this is the uh, this is the Star Trek for the women in your life, women, women's <laughs> women. Yeah, you get what I'm trying to say. That plural doesn't quite work. Okay, <laughs> but it does seem that maybe it's like the really. I guess this is the first gateway drug for Trek these days. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a way you can get people into it. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into later. Is it or isn't it a good representation of Star Trek? But as a way to be like, you know, here's the basic idea. Here's some nice characters. It looks pretty. It does that job very well. Yeah, I once put on the trouble with Tribbles for my daughter and she just laughed at it, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You I mean, can't just what I want to choose. On you well, can't. I, like, well, I have just turned 60 track on someone, but I use like a really good one. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> was she laughing with it or laughing at it? At it. <laughs> <laughs> well just because it looks so antiquated right you know mm. and uh it was a couple of years ago she was nine or ten so you know it's just just a time when maybe she might watch something that's not animated so um but yeah it took me like i remember i'd put this on like several times for my family and we, we never got past thor you know Mm. <laughs> it was like we were eating lunch and then it's like okay i'm gonna go read now oh, okay guys we watch star trek movie <laughs> <laughs> um before we get a little deeper and i will go ahead and give you a plot for this one for those that may have forgotten um i have seen enough times i did not reference a wiki page at all so we'll see how it rolls Future, but in Star Trek's past, the USS Kelvin is attacked and mortally wounded by a time-traveling Romulan mining vessel. Newly minted father George Kirk takes command of the ship and saves the lives of most of his crewmates, but loses his own life in the process. 25 years later, son Jim Kirk is living a rough-and-tumble life in Iowa despite his high intelligence. With Captain Pike as his mentor, Kirk begins his Starfleet career in a bar with a broken nose, but is ready to be an officer within three years. His unconventional approach at beating the simulator Kobayashi Maru scenario gets him expelled right as the Romulan ship reappears over Vulcan. Kirk has his friend Dr. McCoy dope him up and scuttle him on to the starship Enterprise. En route, Kirk realizes that it's a trap! Due to messages intercepted by communications officer Uhura and the ship de-warps into a debris, debris field of Starfleet vessels. Romulan captain Nero kidnaps Captain Pike and implodes Vulcan. Spock, the Vulcan commander now in command of the Enterprise, jettisons Kirk to an ice planet because he is really, really too outspoken. 
On the planet, Kirk first runs into a monster and then into a much-aged Spock from the future. He had tried to save Romulus from a supernova in the future, failed, and now Nero wants to destroy the Federation as he feels it destroyed Romulus. The duo then find a very cold engineer, Scott. With old Spock's help, they somehow beam onto a warping enterprise. Kirk takes command once he proves younger Spock is emotionally compromised. The crew reaches Earth and stops Nero from destroying that planet as well. The Enterprise and the Romulan ship have an out-and-out space battle somewhere around Jupiter, while Kirk and Spock beam over to rescue Captain Pike. Nero is sucked into a singularity of his own making that the Enterprise barely escapes. All is formal back on Earth as Pike is now an admiral and Kirk keeps command of the Enterprise for further adventures. There's a lot of plot in this one. I left out like a lot. I mean, there's a lot of details in this one. Maybe yeah, because the, right the right. actual plot is very, very simple, but it gives you lots and lots of little snippets of everyone because it's trying to introduce you to all these characters. Yeah, I didn't even mention Sulu or Chekhov, so <laughs> which I guess the show sometimes failed to do also, but <laughs> yeah. Watching it this time, I definitely noticed that it's always. Jim Kirk. They never give him a James. Mm. He calls himself James right at the start. Oh, like as a as a little boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like when he's getting bollocked by the Admiralty, he gets called James. <laughs> um, so I guess we should well, first we'll do actors a little bit. So Chris Pine, how's he how's he for a Kirk for you? I thought Chris Chris Pine was great. Um it's really hard to step into a role like that where, you know, everyone is, you know, equates Kirk with Shatner and Shatner with Kirk and um, trying to uh, take over that role is difficult. And, and, you know, to Chris Pine's credit, he kind of brought the the spirit and, and kind of attitude of, of Kirk, but it never became like, you know, the same where he was doing an impression or, or trying to do riffs on on Shatner esque type, type types of things, so I think he did a good job of trying to make make it his own, uh, but while also you know being true to the spirit of the character. I think he's re- uh, this would probably be my opinion for most of the cast. He's really good, but the film doesn't give him many chances to show it because he's constantly having to run around and be an action man and be rebellious. So you don't get much time to see him being, you know, leaderly be a captain. Yeah, and he gets his film. ass kicked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like he, a... he never put both hands together and gave him the two-handed punch. <laughs> uh, he didn't learn the Kirk Fu. That's the problem. <laughs> um, maybe an interesting question would be, does anyone come out? Do you prefer any of these to the original crew? <laughs> maybe that's a loaded question for the actors, but... Um... I mean, I think Sulu and Chekhov get 
a little more presence in these films than they often did in the older stuff. So I have a lot and, of love for these versions. And Uhura also, I think, has a larger role definitely than she did in any of the TNG movies or, or I'm sorry, the TOS movies or the TOS series. Well, that um, was always a Nichelle Nichols thing. She was wanted to quit the show because she didn't have anything to do, right? right. And, you know, famously was told by Martin Luther King Jr., just the fact you're there is important, so please stay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this Uhura does get to do a lot more than just answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and continuing into the sequels. Yeah, I, I was thinking, though, you're saying Kirk, uh, Kirk or Pine doesn't captain much in this. He doesn't really get to do that much till the third movie, does he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that is a plus on that one. Um, you know, Simon Pegg is just Simon Pegg. It's kind of hard to make a comparison there. Like, yeah, he's not even doing the same region of Scotland for the accent. Yeah, he's just doing Simon Pegg, but it's like, well, I like him. So I, well, I he, he is doing a Scottish accent, um, and, but he deliberately chose to do a different one because I can't remember. I don't know the names of the different Scottish accents, but it's his family have that accent. So he just found that easier. Oh, okay. That makes than doing the one Duhan was doing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, if you watch the animated series and you know that Don's doing like most of the voices, it'll blow yeah. your mind because like none of them sound like Scotty. <laughs> the, um, so Simon Pegg and the little, his little sidekick, those two actors are among like, I think it's only three actors ever who've been in Star Trek, Star Wars and Doctor Who. One of them because he's, Really, he's because he's a, a little person, I guess. Yeah, he yeah, he just gets a lot of those roles. <laughs> but yeah, Simon Pegg has done all three, which is very rare, apparently. So this movie uh, clears John Waters, director John Waters' statement that every good movie needs a midget or a vomit scene. This one almost had the vomit scene, but it, I yeah, it's pretty close. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's a direct quote for the nomenclature there. So I feel like <laughs> I can't. I feel like I can't change the quote. I said little person the first time, and then and then unpc'd it with a quote. <laughs> Well, did Simon Pegg have any specific uh, connection to to Star Trek that 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 he'd mentioned previously in in terms of like um, an interest in it? Before oh yeah, he... yeah, he's he's like a famous super geek. Um, so when he was doing like spaced and stuff back in the early two thousands, his characters were always like into Star Trek or into Star Wars or yeah, yeah because didn't he he co wrote the third uh, Kelvin film? Yes, right? I think so. So yeah, he he was already a big. This was like a passion project for him, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you have lots of people rolling on. Uh, again, we have Seth MacFarlane just making his very own Star Trek because he's so <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> Which uh, you know, that good good toward him, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it you do get it down a Trekkie rabbit hole, right? With as yeah. everyone here can probably attest to. <laughs> yeah, when you have that much cloud, I guess you can make your own fan fiction and uh, a television show. Um, let's go to our villain Eric Bana's Nero I've been realizing the more that I'm especially teaching on Zoom I think I give the Nero hello a lot maybe because like you're hitting the button to like bring someone in and your face is in the camera like hello <laughs> <laughs> so I think I give a lot of Nero hellos on Zoom so his, the weird thing about Eric Bana I know he's a good actor he's done like Munich and stuff but when I think of him, it's this, Troy, and the Hulk. So I just think of Eric Banner as a terrible actor with no screen presence. 
Yeah, I think the most memorable thing about Nero is when he says, "Hi, Christopher, I'm Nero," yeah. which I, I laugh at that every time. It's just, it's just a such a weird and amusing way that he kind of answers a hail. Yeah, the first time when in the theater, I was like, "What the hell?" But every time <laughs> I see it, I kind of like it better. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I I don't want to say he's bad in this movie. Um, it's but it, it it's an acquired taste. The first time I saw the movie, yeah, I definitely thought like, "What is up with this villain?" And um, each each time I watch, I actually do like his performance like a little bit better. I don't hate him, but that's a problem because I don't, you know, hate him. He's the meant he's a villain who's destroyed Vulcan, who's meant to have this personal vendetta against Spock and the Federation, and he's just there, <laughs> like. He's a bit of a damp squib. He makes it. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a problem. The character just, there's just not a whole lot to it. It's, it's just another vengeful villain. Um, and if you really think about why is he so angry? I mean, I understand. Okay. Romulus was destroyed. Why does he blame Spock when Spock was trying to, to save, save Romulus? It mm-hmm. just feels very forced that he's, you know, so, you know, so bent on getting his revenge on Spock and, you know, destroying the Federation because of what happened. Um, it just doesn't, it just, it's just not enough there. It feels, you know, very thin. It feels like a lot of the, a lot of first Marvel movies where it's, well, we're concentrating on introducing the heroes. So the villains just kind of there. Like um, Guardians of the Galaxy had that in a big way. Um, like Iron Man, Cap, they always have just like a pretty basic villain for the first film. And then I think that's why in, the second one, they doubled down so hard on like, okay, we're getting Benedict Cumberbatch in to do Khan because we need to have a villain. Oh, I almost agree with you, but uh, Captain America did have the Red Skull as its first true. One, so at least it was iconic in that case. Yeah. <laughs> but what else? Hugo Weaving is the Red Skull. Wet, wet yeah, skull. phoning it today. in. Yeah. <laughs> the Wet Skull. <laughs> the Wet Skull. I mean, ideally, you want your skull to be wet. If your skull is dry, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sorry, I, I can't talk today. My voice is cracking. I'm, I'm putting, I'm doing wessels. I'll blame that on Chekhov, I guess. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I, they do put that he's blue collar. I guess that's part of it, right? He's not supposed to be just like you know, like fully set into evil. Although I did have 25 years to do that. And the other thing, and uh, sorry, I know Luke, you're about you're about to say something there, but uh, the other thing is. Movies should probably stand on their own, but this one really does benefit from reading the countdown comic book, which probably mm-hmm. shouldn't be the case, but you get a lot more of like what Spock did, the motivation, stuff like that. And uh sorry, Luke, I, go ahead. No, I was, I was just gonna agree with you. There's a bit at the end where um Spock and Kirk are just like ripping through Nero's crew. And I remember the last last night when I was watching it, I was like, Oh wait, that makes sense because this isn't like a spaceship full of soldiers, this is a mining vessel. And here's these two trained Starfleet officers who showed up. Like, yeah, they're probably going to win a gunfight. Well, I was just going to say real quick, wasn't there a whole subplot that was cut from the movie? Um, I, I think I remember hearing this like in a commentary yeah, track or something where Nero spent a lot of those 25 years in a Klingon prison or something. Um, but they cut it because it was just too confusing and convoluted. Yeah, there was definitely a um, deleted scene where they were captured by Klingons for those 25 years. And there was a whole thing about they gave the Klingons helmets because they couldn't be bothered to come up with a Klingon design yet. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they could have easily just written in like 
he comes out of the black hole briefly for that interaction with George and then falls back into it for 25 years or something. Yeah, that it probably is, it, been a, a better it, idea. It's a really weird point that he's just been floating there for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, just for wait, waiting for 25 years to get his get his revenge. Um, like it's, hanging out, I guess. But yeah, maybe Nero is that obsessed, but is his whole crew still going to be like spoiling for revenge? Or are they just going to be sick of waiting around on this mining vessel? <laughs> he's got a bunch of rumors. <laughs> it is basically the red dwarf situation <laughs> yeah i see i know you meant red dwarf but when you just talk about here's a mining vessel full of men for 25 years he's got a bunch of rimmers <laughs> <laughs> we know who river is <laughs> uh, um character wise so we're, we're pine well, before we finish on the actors oh. we probably should mention zachary quinta Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, he was spot, like, can't leave him out. yeah, because I we I was a heroes watcher, so I remember in the run up to this film, like Quinto campaigning to be Spock, like he was super keen to be Spock. Had the second series of Heroes come out when this movie came out? That's I know it's a tough question because I I think remember. we were quite a few. I think Heroes started in like two thousand five or something. I think we were well into Heroes. Oh, so we already knew that it kind of like took a nosedive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay. he, yeah, he's the one, one guy who successfully jumped ship to something else, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't save the cheerleader. Um, what I was gonna say that, uh, yeah, like he he seems to. I, okay, what I noticed last night is he's one of those guys that has to shave every ten minutes. Mm. I don't know why that caught me yesterday. But I was like, man, he's just got five o'clock shadow all the time. Because you, you don't think of Nimoy as having that. There's something about Nimoy's arched look. Like, you know, Shatner looks like Shatner. Pine looks like Pine. Who cares? But there is mm. something about maybe it's like, you know, in the 60s when like originally oh, Mr. Spock's too satanic, you know, maybe yeah. part just because his face is so kind of angular and arched. We, we don't get that with Quinto. So he's he's kind of like, like a good looking Vulcan. <laughs> Yeah, he has a little bit of the same problem that um, Pine had, where because they're trying to give him all of this dramatic stuff, he doesn't get much time to just Spock. Right. In fact, I guess Nimoy gets a lot more time to just Spock in this movie, which it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't get Leonard Nimoy in your film and not let him Spock. So. <laughs> well, if anything, I mean, it was probably even harder trying to live up to a, the character of Spock than living up to the character of Kirk. Um, so Quinto probably had his work cut out for him even more. Um, but again, I, I thought he, I thought he nailed it. I mean, I thought, um, you know, kind of, sh- I saw this in kind of both this and in, into darkness, you know, it's, it's sort of like an earlier version of Spock where he mm-hmm. hasn't quite, you know, mastered his emotions yet. And he's, you know, more, more likely to, to lose control. Um, so it gives you kind of an earlier version of Spock that you, you haven't, you know, haven't previously seen. Um, so that kind of gives you a little different take on it, but while also trying to do the whole Spock thing, I, I think he really, again, he found a good balance of, of, you know, trying to bring his own spin on the character um, while honoring the legacy. Luke, did you ever get a uh, Spock deep in a uh, Discovery? No, I I got about halfway through season two. 
Oh, okay. I then I'll leave comparisons for that for another time. I, I, I didn't meet uh, Spock, but I didn't I didn't get to see much of him and he was still being a little crazy. So Yeah. <laughs> and I guess and, and honestly, I guess making that comparison now is kind of stupid because in a year it'll make a lot more sense once uh, we get the, the new Star Trek series. So Yeah. Well also yeah, like I think next months. year we're getting another one of these films. So <laughs> Oh yeah, I did see news about that. I I I still I I'm not I don't expect it would have been very good, but I, I think everybody wanted to see what the Tarantino trek was going to be. <laughs> yeah, that would have been one of those kind of morbid curiosity type things. Um I mean, I love Tarantino, but it just seems like a really odd fit. <laughs> I think that one was better for headlines than if it yeah. had actually gotten made. Well, I would have loved because I, I presumably Tarantino is a big Star Trek fan, and that's why he wanted to do it. If he, yeah, just... he kept going on about how he wanted to be an R-rated Star Trek film, and it's like, well, why? What I would have loved it would have been if he'd just done it like really straight, and it had just been not been Tarantino at all, and you'd had all these Tarantino fans go into the movie, and they'd got <laughs> like the motion picture part two. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I just don't see how that possibly could have worked because you would have had. It would have been a compromise between trying to be true to Star Trek and trying to be true to Tarantino, and you end up doing neither. Yeah, we'd or we'd have had yeah we'd have had the Superman three Richard Pryor situation where Superman didn't want to tell Richard Pryor what to do. Richard Pryor didn't want to tell Superman what to do, so no one put any personality into anything. Superman didn't direct that movie, you know. Yeah, he did. Oh, okay. Superman's real, and he made his own movies. <laughs> Wow, Superman 3. I don't think I've seen that since it was on video in the 80s, <laughs> on HBO in the 80s. Well, it's because if you watch Superman 3, then it's like, well, I guess I got to watch 4 too. <laughs> oh, gosh. I saw that in a the theater. I think I'd rather watch 4 than 3. Like, Dude. 4's in the so bad it's good camp. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was the eight-year-old boy that, you know, put it on and whatever 87 or whenever and was like what is this you know at like age eight like i was like i, I realized that something was wrong with this movie <laughs> not trek of course to superman 4 no it, it is kind of a there that's definitely a curio yeah um yeah, i can't remember how what you said 87 that came out that was a i, I could it's probably a year that or a year it sounds about after, right but yeah yeah i just remember you know however old old I was when it came out. If, if it was 87, I would have been 11, I guess. Um, but I, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> Even at age 10 or 11 or whatever. Exactly. Matt, would you say that was the film where you learned that films could be bad? It might be, although it might have been one of those uh, think romantic comedies I've mentioned recently where the first half is quite funny and the second half is t- a total slog. Okay. That, that might have been the first. No, I, I think I think I remember it was heart beeps because it had a it had a really cool box with like puppety things. But the movie, I, I think it has Andy Kaufman in it. So, you know, you want hmm. to, it to be good and it's just it's terrible. OK, <laughs> that was probably the first time I realized was it was terrible.
Um, there's kind of a disconnect with with the Kirk character here because we're getting full on like semi retirement. I'll do what I want, Shatner Kirk from the movies, as opposed to you know like by the book Kirk, which is what you get in TOS. Yeah, well, people always forget whenever they talk about young Kirk in TOS, it's like he was such a dweeb at the academy. He always played by the rules. Um, I, but I guess like that's why they've done the whole changing time, killing George, making him a slightly different character thing. Because this is the Kirk people remember. People remember Kirk as Shatner playing Shatner, forgetting that there was, you know, 60 some episodes of him not being that at all prior. <laughs> Sorry, I just well, remember I... The... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I was just remembering the Futurama line. What is it? 80 episodes, 30 good ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, no, I, I think that, you know, the whole alternate timeline, you know, it starts with Kirk's father dying on the Kelvin, you know, and, and I think the whole point, obviously, is, you know, not having that father figure kind of drove him to be more rebellious, you know, less respectful of authority. Um and it took Pike to challenge him into, you know, joining Starfleet. Um, I will just say, watching it again last night, I remembered at the theater, that whole opening section is so good. The, you mean like, the Kelvin? Yeah, from that opening shot where you're just like seeing the Kelvin's hull and it zooms out, the whole like the sequence of them dying to save them all, the music, the visuals, it was just phenomenal. Um, and I remember being like, oh, damn, this is Star Trek. I'm in a movie theater watching Star Trek right now. Um, and yeah, that opening is great. Yeah, I guess for me, I think I think I've seen every Star Trek since five on opening night. So, yeah, I guess for, it's like we talked before with the Matrix films, like you just recently saw your first Matrix in a theater. And I'm like, oh, I saw all of them opening night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So, I mean, it is cool. I mean, it definitely, you know, higher budget. Um, before, before someone told me about the lens flares, I guess they looked cool. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I didn't really notice the lens flare thing, but it is definitely there. No, I was, there, was a, there was one bridge scene. I, I, maybe it's when Kirk gets back from the ice planet and is just like, I'm like, flare, flare, flare on the bridge. I'm like, this is a little bit excessive here. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a good way to operate a spaceship. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it is excessive, but again, it's one of those things where do you really notice it until someone finally points it out? And I mean, I, I don't think I noticed it the first time I watched the movie, but you know, now that, you know, this is the, you know, completely derided thing that, you know, JJ Abrams is known for now is lens flare. Um, now you just see it all the time whenever you watch the movie. Yeah. It's the meme now, but I, I don't think I noticed it particularly. I don't think he put rocks and dirt in the bulkheads of the Enterprise. So let's give him credit for that. Because <laughs> usually, you know, when the when the shit gets hit, it's like rocks and dirt. It's like, why do you have rocks and dirt in the bulkheads? And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it looks cool is the, the answer, of course. But I, I think this one does just have sparks and shaking, which makes more sense when the ship is rattled. Yeah. Uh, 
we mentioned a little bit about Spock already uh, with with the the actor. Uh, do we want to do the character? Of course, this Spock is quite different too, having had his his planet destroyed. Again, that makes a very different Spock than. Well, I, we see what happens to our our original Spock too in this situation, of course. But uh, you know these nature versus nurture. I guess is why I'm throwing at it. How much is just like it's the nature of these characters because they're having quite different lives. Well, it's it it is like. Spock is cold and logical because he's trained himself to be that way. Um, like I really like the line from Sarek that's like, yeah, emotion runs deeper in us than in the humans. That's why we control it. Um, so it's not like Spock was never a robot. And we've seen him be emotional plenty of times in the original version. And as um, Spock Prime says, like, I just watched my planet explode and my mother die. Yeah, I'm emotionally compromised. I, I don't think it's a problem that Spock acts the way he does in this film. Um, not to get too deep into it, in Into Darkness, he's that way again with far less reason. But I think, yeah, I think it works fine here. Because um, as you said, well, it is a, it's an earlier Spock. It's an origin Spock. This is him before he's learned to control himself that much. Yeah, and of course, there's always our, our smiling Spock in the cage for, for <laughs> precedent, so... <laughs> Never trust a smiling Vulcan, or and definitely not a laughing one. The mandate tides through the dynasty song. John King's got cream that takes the cake. Mesmerizing with the spinning dice. Between the gorgeous left dry by legs. Landforms set under a celestial net, spaced so wide above that inner sea. We the people embody whole oceans, placed in drops of immortality bet. Let's uh, ship Dork a bit. You, you were mentioning how cool the Kelvin is, right? Mm. What, what is your favorite Enterprise? You're asking me? Because you know my favorite Enterprise. It's the okay. pregnant duck itself, the Enterprise D. <laughs> right. The, uh, the, is that the pregnant duck, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to go for... 79 refit enterprises being the number one this one the one in this one is pretty cool but it's ah, big i'd put this one above 79 refit i don't like the sort of square nacelles on the 70s and 80s movies enterprise maybe because we get such a nice view of that one because in this mm. one it's just a five second view because um kirk has to hurl so he doesn't have time to stare at it lovingly for 10 minutes but I, I like the sort of the wrap it almost looks like a like a corvette of an enterprise it's got like a nice 60s aesthetic this one i really like it I, I, the thing that bugs me actually uh is just the size it's this is really super geek but it bugs me that's like three times the size of the uh the tv <laughs> show enterprise i guess but when we see the shuttle landing in it i'm like oh it's not actually that big you would think about how small the shuttle is in the uh, original yeah. series. So the, the explanation sometimes being, oh, they got such a threat when the Kelvin was exploded that Starfleet is, is just like everything's on steroids in this universe. Well, that while we're on um, 
the Enterprise. I know it doesn't make sense and it contradicts the old law. I love the shot of it being built on Earth. Cool shot. Doesn't make sense you'd build it there, but yeah, the shot is definitely cool. Yeah. Um, of course, this Enterprise gets lots of micro brews every day. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> I do miss a nice engine room with a big central glowing, whatever those are supposed to be in engine rooms. Yeah, they're yeah, clearly. I, make- I definitely had on my notes. Engineering looks like a brewery, and what was that? Was it was that because it was filmed on a location that was actually a brewery? Or, or yeah, yeah, like I think that? it was literally filmed in a brewery. <laughs> So they didn't build a set for engineering. They they went on location mm-hmm. to a brewery, and that's why the Enterprise engineering looks like a brewery. And then they just smashed their own continuity by actually building a cool engine room set for the second two films. I guess they never explicitly tell us we're seeing the engine. So maybe this is just the cooling systems, and that's why it's full of tanks of water. But Yeah. And these ships are so wet too, right? Because yeah. like that area, like where Ahura's uh, workstation, I, I feel like that's what uh, you know. Nero's ship is just like you know has two centimeters of water everywhere. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're dredging. Maybe maybe it's coffee. They're getting coffee from the nebulous. <laughs> well, it's because they've just been like they've just been floating there for twenty five years. Their toilets don't work anymore. They're just peeing on the floor. Key corner. <laughs> yep, smell of vision back again. Sometimes so you talk, we don't get it. You talk about like um, you know, dudes' apartments if you leave them in too long a college and not seeing any girls. This is 25 me- years of men just living in the same spaceship. They've all turned into the worst slobs imaginable. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I keep saying mentioning the Orville because I'm in I'm in the middle of my watch of that show. I just watched the one where they're being held in their um in their cargo bay and it's like yeah, yeah i just came back from the p corner yeah we just all decided that was the corner for it <laughs> don't don't go don't go there unless you really need to yeah but after 25 years every corner is the p corner <laughs> yeah exactly so that's that's explains the ship okay that that i'll, I'll buy your explanation of that <laughs> um the other thing that uh, it, it is all cool but the Preston I don't like and we just saw it in Discovery recently again is that um, these ships are apparently filled with large carnivorous spaces between the decks do you mean cavernous spaces yes yeah carnivorous would eat you okay yeah <laughs> those are words you mix up sometimes but um, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's in the darkness where you see it more I don't remember quite but I do remember that the, one of these films starts showing you the in-between spaces like the you know, the uh, turbo lifts are just going through giant, like, amusement park, you know, mm. rooms or something. I, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, you'd imagine yeah. it's pretty claustrophobic on a spaceship. Yeah. You'd be maximizing efficiency by, uh, say, you know, <laughs> trying to conserve space, not having big open spaces. Um, but, you know, what what looks cool? That's, that's the question. Yeah. A lot, a lot of these things. Is it cooler to have a big open space or... Or have it, you know, look like a real aircraft carrier. Well, I mean, I guess that gets into like my main problem with this film is that more so than almost any other Star Trek, it does make the choice of instead of what's makes sense, what's cool. Yeah, there is a certain amount of that. Um, like, uh, okay, we could take it philosophically. Here's here's the thing that a big difference between a Picard or original series Kirk at the end. I guess time is of the essence. Nero's ship's about to be eaten. They offer help. You know, 
Nero's like, I'll, I'll watch Romulus die a thousand times rather than let you help me. That's not very Corvomite maneuver. <laughs> but also, like, yeah, what about all of your crew? Do they consent to that? Like, <laughs> Kirk and Spock are definitely war criminals at the end here. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, the first, like, normal production episode of Trek had, like, the opposite message. <laughs> <laughs> well, but fair enough if that's, like, Nero's message, because, yeah, he's mad. But yeah, Kirk and Spock probably should have done a bit more to save all of those miners who've just been led on his crusade. Yeah, they do have. I mean, I guess they still did. They have transporters at that point because the yeah. ship had no. The ship cracked after that, so they did have the transporters. Yeah. Once the ship is cracked, I, I get that maybe they can't do so much helping. But yeah. Well, they go even further. They just say, "Okay, well, fine." They open fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anti-Corbomite. You know they. He, the Corvomites on Nero's ship in this case, so well, yeah, yeah. It's not even the um, the Batman begins. Well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna save you, Claws. It's okay. We're just gonna shoot you. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's not very Trek. <laughs> but yeah, I so the first half or two thirds of this film, when it basically is the Academy movie that we've been waiting for, and it's just meeting this character, meeting this character, meeting this character. We didn't talk about him, but Carl Urban as Bones is great i mean he's probably apart from maybe quinto the one who's most trying to do an impression yeah yeah i would agree with that but i like carl urban and everything lord of the rings dread this and yeah he's very good here um but yeah you're just meeting these characters they're just how you remember them it's bright it's colorful here's the enterprise doesn't she look beautiful and then you get into the third act and it's just like well we need to have a hollywood third act so here's a villain and we're gonna do a uh, they're going to do a mission where they sneak onto the ship and hear some action. And I just, yeah. Well, 2009's right smack in the center of, um, you know, too much origin story, you know, like mm-hmm. goal posted by Spider-Man and the amazing Spider-Man, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all the Marvel movies are starting off at this time. It had been a while since they'd done a Trek. So they were like, oh, no one knows what this well, is. Also, we hadn't actually seen an origin story, right? Because that's even back in the, when they were making the original movies. There was talk of, oh, maybe we should do an Academy movie. And the only reason they didn't, because that couldn't start Shatner and Shatner wanted to be on screen. But what about the idea then that they, you know, they do the origin story, but they also do a time travel story where the original Spock and and Nero um, come back in time so that they can be a part of their own origin story. It kind of reminds me of uh, like Back to the Future Part Two, like you know Robert Zemeckis. I remember talked about um, you know he he didn't want to ha- you know at the end of Back to the Future Part One, it it ends with the the DeLorean you know flying and going in, you know into the future, and I remember him saying that you know that was just a joke, <laughs> and you know the movie we actually want to make is not in the future. Um, and so what they wanted to do instead was figure out a way of going, using time travel to go back into the first movie mm. and essentially see it from that perspective again. And that's kind of what they did with the Star Trek movie. They took Spock and put him in his own past. Now it's an alternate version of it. But I actually really like it because, A, it gives us the excuse of, okay, it's a separate universe. We can get away with some stuff. And it gives a nice little passing of the torch. Here's Nimoy. It's not completely separate. 
And I think it right. really pays off in Beyond when he has that photo of the original crew. And it's just a nice yeah, moment mean, of, you know. It's a sure. weird way where you, where you can use sci-fi to literally reboot the franchise in universe. Hmm. So it's very that, comic. That, that's kind of, that's kind of clever. You don't get it in movies. You get it in comics all the mm. time. Like every I'm 20 not a big years, comic guy, so every yeah. 20 years, DC is like, Oh, here's some big universe shattering event. And it's going to end with all the comics rebooted. Yeah. Oh, uh, I had a point. I lost. Oh, the photo you mentioned that, that yeah. does make me wonder if that's in universe of the original crew. How, how does Spock even recognize the alternate, you know, Jim and, and well, I think uh, we're meant to believe that when they age, they will look like that. Okay, that's cool. I just <laughs> I, I just wanted to say Spock deduced it to logic who it was. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to give him more credit, man. <laughs> this might be the first of the giant ships that don't make sense for Nero's ship. We get another a little one bit. In, yeah, we get another one kind of in darkness, but th they just start showing up. Um, I would say some of the early ships in Discovery sort of had that. Uh, oh, Nemesis. There's the first one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because Nemesis was the scimitar in, yeah. in, that, in that movie. I mean, I, I felt like Nero's ship was almost, you know, very similar. I mean, it's really dark. It had these wide, huge open spaces. Um, I, I do like Nero's ship in that it is clearly, um, it's clearly hodgepodge together. And it's only being as successful as it is because it's from the future. Like, it does feel like this isn't actually a battleship. This is a mining ship that we're abusing, which is kind of cool. I'm thinking about design a little bit. So uh, may maybe that's the problem I have with these uh, big blonky ships is um, silhouettes. They say, you know, for design elements, if you can have a really identifiable silhouette, that's best. Enterprise, super identifiable silhouette. And, and I actually heard this... Um, from the, I think there was the producers of, of Prodigy. I heard them in an interview saying we wanted all of the characters on Prodigy to have very distinctive silhouettes. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. Um, the the version I always hear about is that's how the Street Fighter guys talk about making characters. But yeah, it's it's a long time like design trope. Um, I feel like Nero ship kind of has one. It's just like a big claw coming at you. Yeah, a pineapple maybe. Yeah, a pine cone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's not up there with like the Enterprise for Iconic. Um, but I think it's another one of we talk about it with like the monster you get at the end of a lot of modern movie. It's it's just like the director just said to the CGI team, give me a big spaceship. Mm, and there wasn't like a big process of sitting down and designing it. Right. That That is the thing. I mean, model work, obviously, it's more expensive. It's more time consuming. But you've now put that thought into it. So that's, I guess, a big part of the charm. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the problem is you have to pay model workers union wages and so no one wants to do that anymore. Well, again, uh, it's a <laughs> lot more expensive. You don't have to pay digital artists union wages? Uh, that's one of the reasons why like um, movies will try and use digital for everything these days is because there's basically no unions in that. Really? Um, so in the Marvel movies, often they won't even do makeup. They'll do it in post because cheaper that way. Makeup artists are on set. They have a union. Digital artists don't. Wow. So, well, you, you outsource it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
did the Simpsons start that? I remember when the Simpsons was first on air. It was a oh no, dude! Like the nineteen eighties Transformers cartoon was being drawn in Korean and sweat in Korea in sweatshops. Like that's uh, nothing new. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was just trying to check when they started doing that because yeah, that was the thing. I think the Simpsons, like since it was so popular when that came out, people weren't completely like cool with that. Although um, it's interesting mentioning Transformers, you said that when you went and saw it, you had the Transformers two trailer before the movie. Um, same writing pair, Orky and Kurtzman. Um, it definitely feels more like they give a shit about Star Trek than it did that they cared about Transformers. Yeah, that movie was awful. <laughs> like this film, like they are trying to get all the characters right. No, you I mean, could. Well, I mean, definitely. I mean, because they they put a lot of effort into the whole Kirk Spock dynamic. I felt like you know they they did a pretty good job with that actually, um, you know, and trying to really focus on the relationship between the two and old Spock tells, you know, young Kirk, you know, you know, make sure you, you know, carry this friendship on mm-hmm. in this universe, essentially. Um, yeah, so yeah, they, they put some effort into this that, you know, clearly in transformers too, that that was just a hack job. <laughs> But yeah, if you're making a Star Trek origin film, that's what it's got to be about, right? It's an origin story of Kirk and Spock. It's a buddy cop movie. And Kurtzman's still hanging around. He's, um, you know, the the guy who basically is, he's the new, was it um, Rick Berman of Trek these days? It's it's Kurtzman now. So yeah. he obviously likes it or he wouldn't still be there. <laughs> yeah. I guess this film did what the prequel trilogy in Star Wars failed to do, whereas make you care about these friends. It's a big part of it. it's the characters. That that was a big role of dice, I think, when when Trek really got, you know, rolling again a few years ago. It's like, okay, now we're just gonna try and do with base few, you know, iconic characters. I mean, the most obviously being Picard's back, right? But otherwise, yeah. it's it's you know, there's a little bit of Janeway and Prodigy, there's a little bit of Spock and Discovery, and but and the new show, of course, is the longest pilot to production ever, but <laughs> It's, uh, just- well, what do you think about um, the visual template that this set? I mean, I feel like this movie really kind of when I was watching it the other day again, I, I feel like this movie really kind of set the the visual template for all of Star Trek that's come since. Um, you know, Discovery may- looks a lot like this. Um, Picard, you know, looks a lot like Discovery. Um, it feels like this movie really kind of you know, gave this kind of really almost extreme high-tech, almost overproduced look. Mm. Uh, I think everything to the, to the in, the, in the Federation looks good. I kind of like the bridges here. I love the ships here. I think it gives a really an, a terrible aesthetic to everything alien. It's all just spikes and weird and what's going on. I liked how Vulcan was like endless Vasquez rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a, hey, they just cut and paste to the Vasquez rocks everywhere, which maybe that was someone's joke. I don't know. But I, I if it was a joke, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> yep. Um, <clears throat> oh, I did it again. I cleared my throat into the mic. Okay. <laughs> Usually it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, going back to the lens flare thing, right? That's kind of what all the bridges have become in Discovery and stuff. And also Picard, I think, had a fair bit of that. It's just, it's meant to look like futuristic, 
but it just it looks more awkward to use than just the stuff we have now well the thing is this you know the bridge here it's it's actually become retro future quite quickly because it looks like your old ipod basically mm. <laughs> <laughs> which i I still like iPods. I would like to use. Actually, I still use an iPod in the car, but the click wheel <laughs> doesn't work, so it's just in the car. I do like that it has like nice manual throttles and stuff that Zulu, uh, Zulu can just like shove and twink and pull. Um, whereas in like Picard, I remember it's all just he's tapping touchscreen buttons. Doesn't look yeah. visceral to fly. <laughs> whereas yeah, it looks pretty fun to fly the Enterprise in this. Um. Well, I, I know Jamal saw a, a little bit of the um, the new Enterprise Bridge on Discovery, but they've I just saw some production photos for the new show. So I do like they always wanted to take the red out of the the bridge, so they put it back in. I, I think the red railing is kind of necessary. I did notice actually this time it's on the ceiling a little bit, but uh, mm. they they always since the original series they've always played down the red. So I guess. I, I do like the uh, primary color burst of this film. Um, Luke knows what my photos look like. so <laughs> I, do, I love the uniforms in these films. I hate that they go so far out of the way to never, ever show Kirk in one. <laughs> <laughs> that could be another practical joke. I don't but know. But you can yeah. count the minutes he wears a uniform across the three films on like one hand. Yeah, yeah, because this one, it's the last few seconds into darkness. I think you probably like the most. He goes oh. undercover for a big old chunk of that film. Right, but the opening segment he's here yeah. in, in uniform. And then, and then uh, beyond, he's in like a, a away mission space right. suit the whole time. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, because I, I, I feel like that is someone at the studios like, oh, no, that's too cheesy. Our leading man has to look cooler than that. <laughs> like, no, I want to see him running around in Command Gold. <laughs> well, you, you want to see the X-Men running around in spandex, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also, this is way off topic, but I love the red shirt moment when they're space diving down to the drill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to have like a South Park moment where they're all like, but what about Olsen or something like that? Just like obsessing over it. Cause they, they, they gave just like one or two extra lines just to rub it in. I was like, no, five more, five more to really rub it in. <laughs> oh, if they done at the end, like, you know, how if a major character dies in a film, they do a big dramatic funeral for that character at the end. If right at the end, we'd got an Olsen's funeral. <laughs> Now, speaking of that drill, why did they need that drill? Couldn't I mean, you just park a black hole next to the planet and it would have the same effect? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it doesn't have to be at the core to be effective. Why does it have to be in the center of the planet to, to destroy maybe, the planet? Maybe it's like the, um, the Armageddon explanation why they have to drill. Again, because it makes for a cool action sequence. Well, maybe we can't, because... we can't just have nothing happen. We have to have something happen. This is a spaceship full of mining guys, and they're really into their drill. And they've just they've talked Nero into it. And he's like, So we're just gonna launch the black hole of the planet. No, 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 you gotta let me drill to the core of the planet, please. It's like, fine. It's a pretty cool drill. Yeah. It's and what the, I was born for. The space dive is a really cool scene. Yeah, um, and we it, had not seen that in Trek before. Since then, you know, Michael Burnham does that every other episode but they yeah they do a ship to ship dive and into darkness as well am i remembering right that in one of the previous films they'd wanted to do that and couldn't pull it off oh they had um like shadow wanted to do that instead of climbing a mountain right no he wanted to uh parachute yeah but from space which is yeah that's what they do here they parachute at the end 
but he didn't really want to parachute from space or he would have done that last year. Mm. <laughs> Khaled. Very <laughs> <laughs> drill, making cool black holes. Oh, yeah, I want that to be an explanation of the movie. We need to do this. Why? Because it's going to look sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. Well, Star Trek has always had this problem where it, it needs to, you know, kind of, you know, figure out the balance between having some halfway plausible sci-fi concept, uh, but also needing to satisfy the needs of the plot, you know, like, like the black holes in this movie, you know, why, why does a black hole destroy you sometimes and other times you go through time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did it just decide, you know, on a bad day that we're going to destroy you this time, but you know, last time we, we let you, you know, go back in time 115 years or whatever maybe vulcan was actually just transported 200 years into the past on an alternate <laughs> timeline well i think vulcan will go 200 years into the past but also inside out okay <laughs> that's the problem so that's why it had to be at the core if they just launched it at the planet it would have just transported the whole planet back through time <laughs> still be gone yeah Lots but then they'd have 200 something. extra years to prepare to fight romulus so <laughs> It's sort of been the topic the entire time, but how is this film holding up now that we're actually in quite, we're all drowning in Trek now, so it's hard to watch it all now. I think, like, you put it best, like, this is the, now this is how you start someone on Star Trek. Um, like, you're talking about, oh, is it too generic a name to just call it Star Trek? And I think no, because if someone's like, oh, you're into that Star Trek, I want to watch it. You're like, okay, watch Star Trek. 2009 movie, simple name. It's the first thing that comes up if you search on Netflix. Watch that. If you get any enjoyment out of that, then I can start introducing you to this whole world of incredible television and movies. If you don't even enjoy this one, there's probably no chance you're going to enjoy Star Trek. Yeah, because even the, the first film was nice enough to add the, the motion picture just to distinguish a little bit. Where this mm. is just, here is Star Trek. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like you get a McDonald's burger, right? Or you can get a different kind of burger. Well, it, it's like um, when you're bringing it out for a new audience, you don't want to call it Star Trek 11. You know, when they brought out Spider-Man in like 2002, they didn't call it Spider-Man the movie because it's, it's Spider-Man. You just start here if you're a noob. Yeah. A few years or it's like a, a band releasing a self-titled album. <laughs> or like Weezer, who does every album as a self-titled album. Ah, uh, they've had like five self-titled albums it's amazing <laughs> um yeah self-titled album oh yeah i remember i'm not i'm not a sorry luke football fan but <laughs> but uh i remember there's a big to do there the nfl is having an existential crisis a few years ago when they realized that their next super bowl is going to be super bowl l <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, should we just change the numbers? Because 50 sounds a lot cooler. I think they stuck with the letters, though. They're like, you know, we have to, like, pretend we have, like, at least a little bit of intelligence as we pound each other's brains in. <laughs> yeah, they went to numbers for one year and then went back to letters. <laughs> oh, so maybe 50 was the one time they they just couldn't live with L. The next one ends up being, like, what, Super Bowl Lee? If Lee, you read yeah. It out loud, yeah. Super Bowl Lee, Super Bowl Lee. <laughs> I've often wondered why they feel the need to continue numbering Super Bowls. I mean, why can't you just call it the 2022 Super Bowl? That's what everybody else does. I think it's because it's, although it's held in 2022, it's the kappa for the 2021 season. So. Wow. I think they just want to make it sound, you know, more. And yeah, they want to sound special. super prestigious. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm surprised you even had that fact for us. Yeah, I'm <laughs> for that a sports guy. But uh, yeah, I guess this is this is your your gateway trek is the main thing. Mm. Um, okay, let, let's let's rank it in your in your field of trek movies. We'll just keep it to the movies. Movies. Hmm. It's always easy to work out for me. I think I think this is like right in the middle for me. It, it's not up there with the ones that I really love, but there's it, nothing wrong with it. Mm. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's where I am. It's it's fine. It's it's pretty good. It's an it's entertaining. Um, you know that it's got a lot of decent, you know, pretty good scenes. Um, the relationship between Kirk and Spock again. I think they they did a good job with that. Um, you know, the the plot with with Nero doesn't really do much. Um, but you know, it does what it needs to do. It it reboots the franchise. It gives us an origin story. It has the twist with you know, with old old Spock coming back. Um, so yeah, it, it's a solid movie. It's it's entertaining, and uh, I'd put it you know in the middle. I wouldn't put it you know at the top. I wouldn't put it in the lower tier either. I was wondering why I put like above and below it, and then I was realized I've never even thought of like comparing say TOS movies against next gen movies. Like they they go on their own rankings, right? So. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever made a ranking of like the 13 films. So maybe one of these days I'll have to do that. Going back yeah. to the bands, it, it seems like taking like three different bands that maybe have the same member and then trying to rank all of those. It doesn't yeah, make yeah, yeah. sense. It just feels like the TOS movies did a, did a better job overall than the TNG movies mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And then the, the reboot movies, just the Kelvin movies are completely something else. Now, Luke, would you be able, now that she's re-recorded several albums, would you be able to rank Taylor Swift's albums? Because now there's two versions of each. Ooh, I could. I mean, not off the top of my head. I'd have to sit down and think about it. Would some of them be separated or would they all be next to each other? Um, they would be separate. Uh, to be honest, I don't think the re-recorded albums are that different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So they would probably be pretty close together in my list. I'm asking Luke this because I know he's staring at a shrine to Taylor Swift to his right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, there, oh, you go. there you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I usually don't get to ask Luke music questions, so I jump at it when I when when it comes <laughs> up. <laughs> I can talk uh, to you about Taylor Swift, Bowie, or Queen, and that's about it. So <laughs> I, I definitely be- couldn't rank the Bowie albums. That yeah yeah you got all the errors so I guess it's kind of like the Star Trek thing right? What's your favorite have... cheese? Chocolate. Like. <laughs> uh, 
Are there any uh, big points on this particular film anyone wants to throw out? I just, I think I've told this story before, but just after this film, me, the same girlfriend who I introduced to Star Trek through this film, we went on a trip to Spain for a weekend and I got a Burger King kids meal because it had Star Trek toys. So I had a little model Kelvin. I don't know what happened to it. Maybe I still have it somewhere in the UK. But you press the button and it goes, Alerta Rioja. <laughs> <laughs> but that's always what enters my head when I see the Kelvin is red alert in Spanish. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Jumaki, tell folks about your website. Like I said, uh, thank you for all your years of running that because that that is my kind of number one TV source for info. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've continued to do it. Um, you know, when Trek kind of fired back up a few years ago with Discovery, I had to make a decision whether I was going to try to continue it or not. And at the time, I was honestly kind of noncommittal. I, I wasn't sure if I wasn't going to have if I was going to have time you know, or not with young, young kids and all of that. Um, so I've always said, you know, I'll just try to continue to do what I can do and review as much as I can within, you know, the time parameters that I have. And so far I've kept up, I'm I'm still, I'm a little behind. I haven't gotten my prodigy reviews out there yet. And I hope to at some point. Um, but, um, yeah, I've, I've got just about everything covered. I still haven't done the original animated series. Um, that's something that eventually I'll, I'll get to, but um, it, you know, when I have the time, I'll go back and do that one. Um, but yeah, I'll just, it's just, it's going to be a challenge this year with everything coming down the pipe here. Um, we've got uh, Picard coming back next week, then strange new worlds after that. Uh, there's going to be a couple weeks of overlap with discovery and Picard and and then, the Orville comes back in June, I believe. And so I'm going to have to decide if I'm going to continue with that and then prodigy and then lower decks. And it's, it's crazy right now, how much Star Trek there is. It's, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. You would never expect it to be that busy in the late (laughs) nineties with that sort of task. No, I mean, who would, who would have thought that I'd still be doing this, you know, more than 25 years later. Um, it's it's crazy that's kind of continued but as long as i um have the desire to do it and have the time to to you know kind of squeeze it in you know it i don't have quite the the length that you know my reviews that i used to uh, they're 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 shorter now they're not as detailed um i don't watch anything more than once usually i just don't have time for that i used to watch you know episodes more than once to you know really get the facts right and you know put quotes in, in the, in the reviews and all of that. But, um, now it's kind of a war of attrition. You just have to get it done, get on to the next one. I always enjoy reading them. Even when I disagree, I know, like, um, I like some of the more whack Brandon Braga episodes. So, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) they say always Trek, you know, someone's favorite episode or no, every episode is someone's favorite and someone's least favorite. So, (laughs) Yep. There's always going to be a disagreement. You know, we, you know, everyone likes, like, likes different episodes, different, different ways. You know, like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm the only person who ever defends into darkness. Um, but I'm going to continue to defend it because that's, that's my take on it. I think the, the trek I love that everyone hates is uh, that Voyager episode where um, 
Chakotay's have boxing in his mind and they're in chaotic space. I understand it's a terrible episode. I just love it. <laughs> I think City on the Edge of Forever is a piece of shit. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> no. Well, I think the, the, writer, the writer does, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Harlan Ellison. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. Does, did he want his name? I can't remember if he wanted his name taken off or, or what, what, what the deal was, but... Um, Luke, Luke, what is the terrible Trek episode you absolutely love? I like the Voyager one with the rock in it. It's <laughs> because of the rock. Yeah. That uh, one's okay. Yeah. That one's the kind of middle of the road, I thought. I didn't think I, it was I don't, terrible. I don't think I've ever not liked Trek. I, got, I guess for me and you, Matt, it's not an episode, but Star Trek Five. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, got a lot of time for Star Trek Five. <laughs> I I can't I can't join you on that one. Sorry. We we had a run where for ages all of our guests had admitted, like, oh actually I kind of like it. But recently that started to break. We've got people who don't like it now. Yeah, I mean there it, it has seen it had some good scenes like the, you know, I need my pain scene. You know, that's a that's a good scene, but you know, they're they're just huge parts <laughs> of that movie just do not work. Clang to the floor. Terrible. Luke, Luke, yeah, it's you great. Buried the, <laughs> you buried the headline for who the first person who hated it was. Oh, yeah. The first person we talked to who didn't like it was Rod Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> Up till then, all of our guests had loved it. Because <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I didn't want to be a name-dropping douche. <laughs> I know, but it's just funny that that's the person who hated it. <laughs> But uh, go ahead, do our thing. Luke. You can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find this one by searching Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. You've probably already done that because you're listening to us. If you want to help keep it online, you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastios. Throw us a dollar a month. And from there, you can find links to all of our other podcasts that me and Matt create. Why not check some of those out? All right. Hit the hit the what is that thing called? The visceral thing that puts you into warp. The throttle? Is that a throttle? Yeah. The warp throttle. And let's just beam over and some to another planet. Live long and prosper. Boy. Thanks. Second. Second.